Hello, and welcome back to This is Modern Rock, the podcast that takes a month-by-month look at the modern rock charts. I'm Will Westerkow, and this is February 1993. I am joined once again by my favorite co-host, Orly. Oh my gosh, thank you. Hi, Orly. Hi. I'll catch up with you in a second, but first, let's listen to the mystery achievement of the month. Yeah. See if any of you remember this old jam. Well, I hope some of you knew that one. That's from down there at the very, very bottom of the charts. Number 30 modern rock chart hit. We'll be telling you all who and what that was at the end of the episode. Okay. Uh, Orly, how's it going? What have you been up to? I don't even remember the last time we talked. I don't know. Feels like it was a while. It's been a long time mm-hmm. since I rock and rolled. It was uh, way back in 1992. I don't know what I've been up to. I went and saw Barbie. Okay, Barbie. Any modern rock songs on the soundtrack? (laughs) (laughs) I would say yes. Definitely during an era where we were all kind of sad about it. So not your favorite of modern rock? No, no. And that was that was the joke, honestly. But they really played it. Okay. They made sure we heard almost the whole thing. (laughs) All right. Well, let's get into February. Sure. Of '93. So we have no new number ones this month because. Jesus Jones's The Devil You Know is still at number one. We heard that last episode. It's going to continue to be number one all through the month of February. <laughs> He's the devil I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we addressed that last episode, yeah. But we've got some number twos. You have some number twos? We have two number twos. Okay, let's get to these number twos. All right, well, this first one, I remember a lot better than that Jesus Jones song. This is a song from Duran Duran. <laughs> Is that funny? <laughs> Why are we laughing about Duran Duran? That's a very serious band. It's a very serious band. Yeah. They just seem old even then. Uh, you know what? That's one of the first things I was going to say. In fact, I think I wrote in my notes here, Duran Duran, you say, the 80s band? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, it's comeback time, baby. It's a good song. I definitely liked it. Uh, well, we don't even know what song it is yet. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't even know. <laughs> no, because Will gives me homework now. Okay, yeah. Please listen to these ahead of time so you have a educated <laughs> response. And guess what? I didn't. You didn't listen ahead of time? <laughs> no. Uh, don't tell me what to do. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Duran Duran, they were formed in 1978 in Birmingham, England. Or should I say Birmingham? I don't know. Birmingham. Should I not say the H on the ham? Birmingham? Yeah, burning... Burning, Bur- burning Man. Burning. <laughs> they were raised at Burning Man. That's the thing you don't really know about them. They, <laughs> all of them, born and raised in Burning Man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I used to like them, but now it's all tech bros or whatever. <laughs> they were named after the character Dr. Durand Durand the inventor of the positronic ray from the movie Barbarella. Cool. The classic lineup of Duran Duran is Nick Rhodes, John Taylor, Roger Taylor, 
Andy Taylor. These are brothers? I think they are not brothers. I think it is a coincidental gathering of Taylors. Three? Yeah. Two of them have to be brothers. I'm, I'm pretty sure they're not related. The cousins. No, I don't think so. They all worked at the same Taylor? They worked for a tailor who made them change their last name. Like the Ramones. So like, we're going to be the tailors. Uh-huh. And then Simon, Simon LeBond. Simon LeBond. Simon like... LeBond showed up and ruined the whole thing. He's like, I'm not changing it to Taylor. Yeah. I mean, I don't think anyone was actually making this mistake, but the Roger Taylor who plays drums in Duran Duran is not the Roger Taylor who plays drums in Queen. I mean, yeah, no one's making that mistake, but that is weird. <laughs> Two drummers named Roger Taylor. <laughs> now, are they brothers? <laughs> Roger Taylor. <laughs> Junior. Well, the band's debut was released in 1981, and it was not long before Duran Duran were superstars in the UK. In fact, I read they were Princess Di's favorite band. Cuties, that's why. Yeah. With the success of their second album, Rio, they became superstars in the US as well. And I should say heartthrobs. They had very sexy videos, which were getting a lot of uh, play on MTV. Sure. They had cool hairdos. And so, anyway, it was like hit songs, hit albums, big fancy tours. They were involved with Do They Know It's Christmas Time, which... It was very cool, too. <laughs> <laughs> and then I don't know if they just had too many songs flowing or they were getting bored or whatever, but they started doing some side projects. So some of the members formed something called Power Station and some other ones formed something called Arcadia. And no one ever heard of those because we wanted Duran Duran. Exactly. Or the Taylors, as I we call them. the Taylors. Taylors and LeBon. But Nick Rhodes is over here like, what about me, guys? Shut up. It's <laughs> <laughs> playing the keys. The keyboardist? Uh, yeah, the keyboardist. The keyboardist is a touring member of the band. Nick Rhodes. <laughs> in 1985, Duran Duran had a number one hit in the U.S. with their James Bond theme of You to Kill. I don't know if I even know that. What was the number one hit? Look it up. All right. After all that, things started to fall apart a little bit. In 1986, a couple band members left to either retire or pursue solo careers. Their albums stopped selling quite as well. And the 90s rolled around. It looked like Duran Duran was probably going to be left in the dust. But since we're talking about them now, obviously they weren't done. Not dusty yet. Not dusty yet, no. <laughs> so they teamed up with former Missing Persons guitarist Warren Cucharulo? Cucharulo? I don't know. Is that how you say it? Well, he's my best friend. So <laughs> go ask, yeah, go ask Warren how to say his last name. We're going to go with Warren Cucharulo. The remaining three members of Duran Duran put together their 1993 self-titled album, sometimes called The Wedding Album, and it ended up being their first platinum record in the U.S. since 1986's Notorious. It spawned two top 10 hits in the U.S., and the first of those is the one we're going to listen to today. This song is called Ordinary World. It hit number three on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 and number two on the Modern Rock Charts.
I'll just admit that was the first Duran Duran song I ever heard. And I think I heard it years before I heard another Duran Duran song. Oh, dang. Yeah. That's interesting. I imagine that if I had grown up with Duran Duran and was listening to them in like the mid 80s, mm-hmm. I might hear this one and go, this sounds really corporate. <laughs> like, oh. like it, might, it, sound, it sounds like hmm. something that Diane Warren might throw their way. Oh, okay. You know, like it doesn't have the energy. It doesn't have the like electro funk leanings. Right. No, no. It's they're more mature. Yeah. But I got to say, it's a good tune. I mean, it's good. You know, and once again, like I heard this when I was 13. Well, sometimes. Right. But um, I I think it's a memorable song. I can see why it was a comeback hit for them. For sure. Yeah. For me, it actually gives me the feels. Like, I, oh, yeah? yeah, I got a little emo listening to that. Mm. It just really put me right in a place in time. I'd just gotten MTV mm-hmm. probably two or three months after this came out, and this was on pretty heavy rotation. It really makes me feel. Okay, so you are connecting this to the video. Yeah, I'm connecting it to the video. But there's a few little musical parts there that I really like that almost kind of reminds me of Tears for Fears or something. Hmm. But I don't really understand what the song is about. There's an ordinary world. Well, he's got to find it, right? That's the thing. I was kind of irritated with him because he's like, I have to find the ordinary world. Where the fuck are you living? He's like Barbie. You're living <laughs> in the land of perfection. Uh-huh. Why do you need to get to the ordinary world? Yeah, Laban wants those Birkenstocks. Ugh, an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so then I was just like, oh, you want to be like a common man? If that's the theme, like I got to go to the ordinary world... It doesn't seem to necessarily match that song. But when he says, where is my friend when I need you most? Uh That sounds like that fits the song. Did he lose his friend to being just an average person? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like, look, he's gone off. He's become like a superstar, you know, rock god or whatever. I just wish I could be with regular people. Every time he goes home, he's mobbed (laughs) by fans. He can't just like get a beer at the pub with his friends or whatever. Yeah. (laughs) it's so tragic yeah well i'm so tired of models always just coming on to me (laughs) is that your birmingham i don't know (laughs) i don't know birmingham sounds like well i will say that duran duran's comeback was fairly short-lived they followed this up with an album of all cover songs that's never a good sign you know not really in the end it didn't really matter that their albums weren't selling that well They've more or less stuck together as a band. At this point, they've released 15 studio albums, most recently in 2021. 15? Since the 80s? They're not that prolific, but they're still together. They still tour. That's true. They apparently have number 16 coming out later this year. The best one yet. (laughs) (laughs) Look, if the Taylors are back, then I'm on board. Thank you. Jonathan Taylor Thomas, Tim the Toolman Taylor. (laughs) Get Taylor Swift on board, too. Yeah. They're in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as of 2022. I know, that's late for them. Yeah, a little late for them, but you know what? They did it. Where'd and who go? knows if they could without this song? <laughs> that's true. <laughs> People be like, they never made it past the 80s. We don't yeah. care about them. They never had a comeback. Now they did. They, they had did. Comeback. They had a comeback. Yeah. Should we move on? Sure. Our next number two. The, the. They're my second favorite band after and, and, fucking and. <laughs> <laughs> you know what is crazy about the, the? 
They are not as difficult to Google as you would think. You just quote them. Just put quotes around. You don't even need to do that. Just like the, the band. And it's like, oh, there they are. 10 years ago. What did we use before Google? We used... Firefox? Not, no, not a web browser, but the search engine. Oh, oh, oh. Ask Jeeves? I didn't ask Jeeves. I never Yahoo. asked Jeeves. Yahoo. Yahoo. Okay, we use Yahoo. Yahoo Yeah, things. so you're like trying to Yahoo your favorite band, the, the, and you're like, the, the. You get nothing. Nothing at all. Do you know what, though? I didn't get sponsored ads. We're going back to Yahoo. <laughs> All right. Well, the, the. Matt Johnson's the only constant member. Sometimes it's like a solo project. Sometimes it's a full band. He kind of switches it up. The The is often described as a post-punk band, but they've been all over the place, spanning genres like new wave to dance pop and maybe throw some country in there. I don't know. Whatever. Just like span Whatever they genres. feel like doing. The The was formed in 1979. Wow. So Matt Johnson, for his second The The album, he decided to create a 47-minute film to go along with the album. Videos for every song. Nice. Many of which were shot in exotic locations around Where the world. Where bands that I love to do stuff like this? It purportedly cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. And this is in the day when this yeah. was unheard of. I have not watched it. I can't bring myself to, but someday. Sounds like a full album's length worth of stuff. You know what I could do? I could listen to the album and just watch the video along with it. You could just watch the videos. You're right. It's genius. Yeah, you could just watch the video. This is the first time we've talked about the the on the show, Hmm. I believe, but they actually charted seven times on the modern rock charts. Since? Well, seven total. I think five before this. Okay. But we're finally listening to the the, and this is their highest charting modern rock single it's called dogs of lust you guys don't see my face but it was like (laughs) gross which i can't find anything to back this up but i have to imagine the title is like a reference or play on kate bush's hounds of love dogs of lust wouldn't you think so? I guess. I mean, I tried to look up if this is like an expression people use, like, oh, or it's like a biblical thing, of oh, the dogs of lust. Ew. You know, and, and <laughs> I, I couldn't find anything. So I'm going to go with Kate Bush reference. Okay. Anyway, in 1993, The The released their fourth studio album, Dusk. The album went to number two in the UK, but only number 142 in the US. Do you want to hear a tongue twister? I do. The dogs of dust. No. The Do- dogs dusk, of lust. The dusk dogs. Of, <laughs> what did you say? The dogs of lust are on the no. album Dusk. Yeah, dusk and lust are hard to say near each other. Yes, and dogs. Dogs, the, dusk, the lust. Dusky dogs of lust. <laughs> the lusty dusky dogs. <laughs> okay, I'm good now. <laughs> well, anyway, on this album, Matt Johnson is joined by some other folks, including Johnny Marr from the Smiths. He's on hand. I lust for duh. No, I lust at dusk for dogs. I thought you were going to say you lusted for Johnny Marr. And I would no, say I'm that's sorry. fair. No, no, no. Fair enough. Also, Nick Lowe bassist James Eller is on board. Okay. And ABC drummer David Palmer. I just feel like men need more names. Just all the same names. Like Nick and David and Matt. Yeah. Yeah. There's like 15 names for men. Yeah. <laughs> Taylor. <laughs> Tyler. Those are last names, the Taylor. I mean, it is a, you know what I mean? <laughs> They're like John and Roger. Um, what about the fact that the word Roger means to have sex, though? Oh, yeah. Good I Rogering. gave her a good Rogering. Mm. You said a good 
Is yeah. that the only way you say it? No, you don't. Yeah, you don't say I rogered her or whatever. Yeah, it's I ro- always like I rogered. Rogering. Yeah. Is your wife up for a good rogering? <laughs> Does she roger? <laughs> say no more. Say no more. Should we listen to this song? The Dogs of Lust? I hope it rogers me right off the scene. I mean, you better be prepared for it. This is going to get steamy over here. Is it? In a canine sort of way. Let's listen to The Dogs of Lust. Fine. Here we go. harmonica that's johnny marr on the harmonica on the marmonica if you will <laughs> i gotta say i spent the first half of the song going i wish johnny marr would learn to play a third note on the harmonica <laughs> don't quit your day job marr stay on the guitar yeah i mean you know it's very bluesy but not not too blues hammer i feel like it was veering towards blues hammer uh, i mean and Look, I know a lot of singers have an affected voice. And I just think I like certain affects mm-hmm. more than others. Yeah. And this was not one of my faves. Also, I just don't feel like the song did that much. Yeah, it was kind of short. Sing it. Yes. <laughs> slowly. What was that to say? Yes, slowly. slowly. It felt like a modern rock version of swamp rock almost sure he's he's feeling a little sticky he's feeling a little uh yeah swampy yeah i get that no i i totally agree with you it's not really much of a song in terms of like melody yeah but it had it has a strong beat it feels like a kind of a tough song i like that about it there's so many songs that just come on and they're like wimpy and sure wash over you and they're nothing and this is like okay i can i can kind of get behind this that's funny singing along but like I thought the same thing because my first thought was like, oh, this is ignorable. It's like a background song. I was like, actually, it's not a background song and not like in an obnoxious way. It's standing out in the sense that you're like, oh, I'm listening to a rock song. Mm -hmm. Like you said, a lot of music is like, it could be a movie score. It's that, uh, you know what I mean? So it's got that going for it. Sure. It's a real song. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, this went to number two. People liked it enough. People were into it. Manor, manor. The the is kind of still a thing. They put out albums once every five or ten years, although some of those seem to be soundtracks. You know, Matt Johnson's still alive. He's going to keep doing the the stuff whenever he feels like it. So I think we could probably expect something else from them in the future. Here and there. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's gone for good. Right. Yeah. Which, you know, is always a nice thing about having a band that's really just like one person's band. They don't have to like... I, I didn't know that, that it was just like one guy that... Well, sometimes it is, sometimes it's not, but yeah. It's, mm-hmm. it's basically just Matt Johnson, so mm-hmm. he can do what he wants. So if he sure. wants to like do something totally solo, he can, if he wants to call up some mates and... Sure. Yeah. I should mention though, Matt Johnson's brother is named Andy Dog Johnson. Mm. And I was just wondering if the Dogs of Lust is a reference to his brother, Andy Dog. That probably makes sense. He's got a a lusty brother. You know, I feel like the word lust has undergone some changes, so. What do you mean? 
you know, like the word passionate mm-hmm. can mean passionate in like a erotic way, but can also just mean like be like very into or excited by something. Sure. So I feel like lusty had a different meaning at some point other than just like horny. The dogs of pleasure and delight. There you go. Do 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 do. That would be a very different song. The dogs of pleasure and delight. Yeah, it would go like. It's a different kind of pleasure. Oh yeah, back to the lust. All right. Well, we're moving on to another band that you might think of as an '80s band. Okay. It's all all '80s bands. All in 1993. In excess. And we have featured this band on the show before. They have uh, charted quite a few times, so I'm not going to go over their whole thing, but this is an Australian rock band formed in Sydney in 1977. They have had a remarkably consistent lineup. Five of their band members were there from the beginning and continued until they broke up sometime around 2013. Okay. I mean, other than one notable person. And then their sixth (laughs) member... Their original singer, Michael Hutchins, he was with the band from the beginning until his untimely death in 1997. Mm-hmm. At this point, I think the band is best remembered for their monstrously successful 1987 album, Kick, mm-hmm. and the four top 10 singles from that album. Amazing. By 1993, In Excess were releasing their eighth album. It's called Welcome to Wherever You Are. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I don't know what people are doing. Interestingly, though, while In Excess's popularity was waning in the U.S., and it was, this was their lowest charting album since 1984, and featured only one top 40 hit, and I was going to say their last top 40 hit, but that's not true. They had one more in 2005. That was the Rockstar one. With uh, J.D. Fortune. Oh, my God. The winner of Rockstar In Excess, singing lead. Anyway, they were still hugely popular in the U.K., This album is their only number one album in the UK. It featured four top 40 UK singles. Wow. And it did put four top 10 songs on the modern rock charts. This album is a little on the experimental side for an NXS album. They bring in a 60-piece orchestra, apparently. They've got some exotic rhythms here and there. The result is a pretty good album. Probably one of their better ones. And we're going to be listening to the final single from the album. It's called Beautiful Girl. You know, this was a smaller hit than some of the other ones off this album in terms of the modern rock charts. This one only made it to number 10. Uh, let's go ahead and listen to it. Here's In Excess with Beautiful Girl. Where did you find her? Among the neon lights Behind the streets outside She says, stay with me Beautiful girl Beautiful girl, stay with me. You wanna go home? The very first thing I always think when Hutchins starts singing is it's uh, Lou Reed. Yeah, absolutely. And he's not like totally doing Lou Reed, but he's conjuring Lou Reed. And For I, and sure. I've, you know, I've read people think that the song is borrowing heavily from Velvet Underground Sunday Morning. Oh, yeah. But my mind always fills in the first two lines with the beginning of Sweet Jane. Oh, which, uh-huh. which it doesn't help that like they both say something on the corner, right? Nikki's in the corner, standing on a corner. Yes. Right. But I always want to follow it up with suitcase in my hand right? uh-huh. from Sweet Jane. 
It's very, very sweet, Jane. But that's okay. I, mean, I don't mind it. Yeah. I like it. I like he's doing that. That doesn't bother me. Sure. Yeah, no, I really like how the song opens. It's got like mm. the two channels stereo. Mm-hmm. It's got like what sounds like a toy piano to me. It's very delicate sounding. I like and I it. I love that. Yeah. Which makes me not like later in the song when like, is it a saxophone comes in? It's like a jazz sax and it's only in my left ear. It's like you're listening to this and someone else walks up and they're like, hey, can I add this? I just really love how delicate the song feels. And mm-hmm. then that just takes me out of it. Yeah. You're reading my notes. I'm not, but no, we're on the same, same wavelength here. Yeah. This is one of those songs that the songwriter, it was not Michael Hutchins. It was one of the Forrest brothers. Okay. There's three brothers in this band. Mm-hmm. I want to say it's Andrew, but maybe I'm giving the wrong brother credit. Oops. Anyway, I think he had a young child, mm. an, actu- an actual little an girl. An actual girl. And I think he wrote this staring at her one day. Okay, that's really sweet, not creepy at all. No, it is very sweet and not creepy. And then the music video, we can't escape the music video. I didn't see the video. Well, maybe you have, and let me bring back some memories. Okay. So the music video, it's like an anti-bulimia message video. So you see like all these different quotation mark normal looking ladies and then and like... they're all barfing? No, some of the times they're just like standing there on the corner. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, sometimes they're just like looking at the camera or hanging out. But then there's some shots of like some ladies over a toilet and there's like clawing food into their mouth. And, oh like, God, no, I never saw this. And there's like, uh, you know text messages popping up on the screen that's making commentary on body image yeah body image pressures from society on women or whatever Mm -hmm. it's a weird mix for me especially if you know that michael hutchins was dating supermodel helena christensen at the the time yeah because like super thin models and like heroin chic and all that yeah okay so at first you're like he's talking about girly loves and then you're like, oh, he is talking about girl. Like he's talking about his daughter, mm-hmm. right? But really, they're like, we can use this much more universally and let women know that you are a beautiful girl and that you don't have to go to these lengths to be beautiful to someone else or yourself. I have a question. Do we all need to be beautiful? Come on. Nobody wants to be a hideous monster. Then those are the only options. I feel like there's some middle ground. There's there. no middle ground. Can we just be like, you know what? I'm average looking, but I've got a Ew, brain. Nobody wants that. Like I've got a beautiful mind. I'm the Russell Crowe of women over here. No, of course. That shouldn't be the most important thing. But being attractive is evolutionarily important. So we are like, <laughs> we're kind of hardwired to want that. Okay. Society doesn't help, don't get me wrong. But everybody wants to be beautiful. In their own special way. (laughs) Stay with me. In your own special way. (laughs) (laughs) You might not be beautiful to everyone, but you're beautiful to someone. (laughs) If you go to another country, maybe someone will find you attractive. (laughs) They have different standards over there. Your accent might be cool. Get out of L.A., girl. Move to Portland. <laughs> You're an L.A. six, but a Portland nine. <laughs> Let's talk about some 90s music. Finally. Let's do some 90s music already. Jeez. I'm ready. Yeah, we're going to talk Pearl Jam. Finally. Does it get more 90s than Pearl Jam? No. 
We've gone in pretty in-depth on Pearl Jam already. We talked about them on a previous episode or two. So I'm going to skip most of their backstory. Okay. This is 93, but we're still listening to songs here from Pearl Jam's debut album, 10, released in 91. That was the gift that kept on giving. Sure was. They already released Alive, Even Flow, Jeremy. The record label says, we want to put out more. Like this album just keeps selling and selling and selling. So they approached Pearl Jam and said, we want to release Black as the fourth single. And the band said, no. We're not going to do it. We're not doing a music video. We're not going to release it as a single. This song is too personal. It's too like emotionally vulnerable. It's one of the tracks that still people hold the closest to their heart still after all these years. So yeah, they were protective. Well, I got to say, Ed, if you don't want to be a video star, don't be such a good looking, charismatic frontman. Um, That's kind of yeah. on you. Yeah, it is. I mean, do you know how heartbreaking it was for someone like me? who was so in love with Eddie Vedder that when Versus came out and they were like, we're not doing any videos, I took that as a personal affront. So you guys hate me. You- <laughs> Pearl Jam, take a tip from Matt Johnson. We need a video for every, every song. Every song. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, anyway, the uh, record label, they decided to release Oceans as the next single, and Oceans did not chart. But Black did, even though it was not a single. There were some promo singles that were sent out to radio stations, and the song got enough play that it managed to hit number 20 on the modern rock charts. This song was written by Stone Gossard. It was one of the songs on his original Stone Gossard Demos 91 tape Mm -hmm. that he uh, shipped out, and uh, which eventually found its way to San Diego and Mm -hmm. got into the hands of Eddie Vedder. Black was originally called E-Ballad. Mm-hmm. This is not one that Eddie Vedder originally sent back as his like trial tape, but he got invited by the band to come meet and see if it was going to work out. He hopped on a plane, flew to Seattle, and he wrote the lyrics to this one to Black on the flight to Seattle. And I thought it would be educational and fun if we played a little clip from Stone's demo version. Oh, fun. Uh Uh-huh. So let's go ahead and listen to a little E-Ballad. I'm really struck by how remarkably complete that demo is. Holy shit. It's like the song I literally could sing right out. It's like a karaoke jam. Yeah. I mean, and obviously like the melody and words that Ed brings are super crucial to the song. Of course. But like the rest of it, it's there. It's in place. I mean, it's missing that bass at the beginning when it Mm, kicks mm -hmm. in. But otherwise, yeah. Otherwise, like the song is there. Like it's done. Yeah. It's not how I write demos. No. I'm like, here's the three chords, guys. You guys will we'll, really we'll, figure... we'll make it good. <laughs> <laughs> good on Stone. Way to go, dude. Yeah, who had been in bands for like 15 years by the time he was 27. Should we listen to some Black? I'm going to hear it on headphones. I'm going to start crying. Here's Pearl Jam's Black. Oh, what 
I just love it. It's just a really powerful song. Mm-hmm. It's really good. Songs we heard earlier this episode, good songs. But this one's like... It's so emotional. And like the same thing that I said about Hutchins is where you can just hear it when they're feeling it and their voice does something like showing you that they're feeling it. And it doesn't, it's not fake. It's it's like a little crack, a little... I just love it so much. Right. And the lyrics here are vague enough that you don't truly know what he's singing about. But It's about a breakup. You know that like this is personal... Yeah. yeah, I know every single word to that song. I was going to say, that's funny because even though I've heard it so many times, I did not know every single word to the song. And I, as a younger person, was actually somewhat scandalized by this song because I always heard it as her legs spread out before me. Uh-huh. That's not what he says. Oh, what is he saying? He says, were laid spread out before me. The untouched sheets of clay were, were laid, laid spread, spread out, out before, before me. me. Mm-hmm. Because he's hard to understand. Sure. And in the liner notes, the lyrics were handwritten. Mm-hmm. So it was all in Eddie Vedder's fucking scratch mm-hmm. and incomplete. Yeah. So I wanted to know so bad. And I was scandalized by that too. And now I feel like A, robbed. <laughs> and be stupid. So I'm robbed and stupid. Thanks a lot for making me a fool, Ed. But if you ever, you know, want to contact Will. <laughs> <laughs> he definitely says her legs were spread wide. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, I don't even know my life. Nothing's real anymore. <laughs> I don't know anything. Yeah. I heard a story once. I read a story. Did you tell me a story? I don't know. <laughs> Somewhere in my brain, I, I happened upon this story. Okay. Did you tell me about where Ed like ran into some hikers? singing black on a trail no okay did not tell you this story Maybe i made the story up it could be i love it totally fictional but uh let's let's call it the appalachian trail okay and then he like walked by them and he's yeah. like on the sheets of clay <laughs> eddie vedder's walking the appalachian trail hikers going the other way and they're all singing black in a big joyous group singing about her legs being spread out before him uh, um, please. and uh ed was like no Stop singing this song. Th- not this one. Sing the other ones. This one is too personal. He did not. You're joking right now. You're making I, this no, up. You're no, making it look, 100% up. No, here's the thing. It could be a fake story, but I'm not making it up. What? I'm not conjuring the story right now as we speak. Okay, this is a okay, story okay. that existed in my brain previously. That you made up recently I, or I, another different time. Couldn't tell you. I could have dreamt it. You dreamt about Eddie Vedder hiking and telling people to stop singing black? It's possible. <laughs> I'm not going to rule it out. <laughs> do, or, do, do. or it could be a true story. Maybe they're just whistling and it's like... <laughs> yeah. And he's like, never. The last little bit of the lyrics are just like so crushingly sad oh my god does he say i know you'll be a beautiful star in someone else's sky but why why can't it be mine yeah yeah i was always like how dare he care about someone that much that's not me (laughs) well that's our songs love it yeah it's a pretty good month it's a good month yeah I guess we can say what the mystery achievement was yeah i i was wrong that was a song called stockholm by new fast automatic daffodils oh those guys were never gonna make it <laughs> <laughs> not with a name like that although the true fans call them nfad nfad that's what i was gonna say NFAD. NFAD. You guys are, are you an nfad fan i love nfad 
Thanks everyone for listening. If you want to contact me, you can reach me at thisismodernrock at gmail.com. Please like and subscribe and rate and review. Rate and review. Yeah, do those things. I'd appreciate it a lot. And we'll catch you next month in March of 1993. Have a good one.